In this week's Board Agenda podcast, we ask what skill sets are now needed by non-executive directors to meet the challenges of the rapidly transforming business environment that they now encounter. We interview Dame Alison Carnworth, who was this year given the Sunday Times Non-Executive Director Lifetime Achievement Award about the role of the non-exec and how it has evolved in recent years. Hello and welcome to the Board Agenda podcast. Joining us in this episode is Dame Alison Carnworth, one of the most highly respected non-executive directors in the City of London. Alison was chair of land securities for 10 years. She is currently a non-executive at BP and PACAR, the Fortune 200 company, chair of the audit committees at both BASF and Zurich Insurance, a trustee of the Economist Group, and chair of the strategic advisory board at private equity firm Living Bridge. But she is also the recipient of this year's Lifetime Achievement Prize at the Sunday Times NED Awards. We welcome Alison to the Board Agenda podcast to talk about the way boards become fit for the future, how they bring more talent on and become more diverse. Many thanks for joining us, Alison. Hello. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm looking looking forward to this chat. Thank you. Thank you. Let me push on with a question then. and Let's get the chat started. Um, the, the workplace has been upended substantially over the last seven to eight months by the pandemic. How would you say the priorities of boards have changed or needed to adapt? I think I found that most boards have been principally concerned with um, the, the employees, the people, the staff, um, how they're coping. Um, obviously, uh, many of the businesses I'm involved in have got the technology to allow working from home to take place quite smoothly. Um, but there's also a mindset, um, you know, are people really coping for this length of time, sitting sitting at home in all sorts of differing circumstances with also doing their day job? So that has been a principal concern. Uh, the other concern, I think, has obviously been the economic climate that the COVID has put us into. So uh, a lot of work on risk, a lot of scenario planning, um, a lot of financings have taken place to prop up liquidity um, and plans that can take advantage of technology. Um, have They've tended to accelerate those plans where they can. So it's been a, a very busy time. And in terms of board meetings, they obviously have been taking place through WebEx or Teams or uh, various other technologies. Uh, and I, I've, I've tended to find that over the period, uh, boards are meeting more frequently, but for um, fewer hours, because I think these flat screens um, and this rather unemotional type of environment that you have with a team's meeting is they're very hard to chair those meetings um mm-hmm. and um so, so we've had few more meetings but for less length of time on average i mean that hasn't been true everywhere but on average that has been the case and i found for example where i've been chairing audit committees um you know we've we've changed the presentation of the materials so that actually on the screen only really key bullet points come up um, and an awful lot of pre-read can go out well in advance of the meeting. So, you know, people have been adapting. They have to look forward. We have to recognise this situation may continue for a while. Have you have you found that decision-making has been affected? Have you managed to still reach the kind of decisions you need to make? Or do you, 
you sense that decisions have gone different ways because you've been meeting online? <laughs> well, that's a very interesting question. I think the hardest decisions are that, you know, recruitment has had to continue during this period. Um, board recruitment has had to continue. So this has been done remotely. And, um, you know, we'd all rather look into somebody's eyes and watch their characteristics live when we're trying to assess them and when they're trying to assess us. So that has been difficult. Um, but nevertheless, um, on the boards I've been on, they, we've continued. We've you know, been recruiting people from very distant parts of the world. Um, so I think that, 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 that has been the most obvious challenge, I think, in terms of decisions. And have you become aware of acquiring new skills as a result of, of doing so much work online in that way? Um, I think there's just less room for what I call small talk, which I must say I'm not terribly good at myself anyway. So, that you know, making feel people feel comfortable and spending five or ten minutes, you know, talking about things that really don't matter that much but make everybody feel secure and comfortable, that less of that goes on. So I think things have tended to be a bit more direct. Um, now, the other, thing I, would, the other thing I would say in terms of decisions is that quite a lot of high-level semi-decisions are taken by boards in slightly more social environments, like, you know, board dinners and um, in particular, I think, board dinners. Those, of course, can't take place. So um, there have been various attempts by boards to sort of try to find substitutes for that, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversations with the chief executive, which would not otherwise necessarily take place, a bit more time-consuming for the chief executive, but nevertheless, I think, quite valuable. So I think there have been some interesting in, in inventions and interventions to try to cope with the environment. A, a bit more hard work at board cohesion, as it were. Yes, I think that's yeah, a good way of putting it, yes. Yes, exactly. Now, moving on to um, uh, some of the questions that boards have had to face, we know that regulators have demanded boards be brutally honest about their prospects during the um, pandemic. How, is that, uh, yes. how have you seen boards reacting to that? Well, <clears throat> in different ways. I mean, you, of course, being brutally honest is, is, uh, is important. Um, but, you know, uh, prospects for companies are, have been very, very uncertain. So um, where companies have traditionally given valuable guidance to the market, some have had to withdraw, some of the boards I've been on have had to withdraw giving guidance because they cannot give guidance. Now, mm. that is, of course, brutally honest, but clearly not that helpful <laughs> if you're in the analyst community. Um, I, um, no, I think the regulators are right to keep an eye on this sort of stuff, but, you know, frankly, boards know what investors need to here and if they can't tell them anything concrete um, then that is what they have to say predictions of the future are things that are not at all easy and does that has that changed the role in any way having to confront that um, uncertainty around the pandemic um no i think boards completely understand that management you know can't provide for example guidance or figures um, uh, in any concrete fashion, when demand is in shock, and in some industries, supply is in shock. Um, I think 
boards also should and do mostly have an expectation that if the result of the pandemic is that the business is likely to meet financial difficulties, then that is something that has to be highlighted early. But, you know, the capital markets have been open to provide liquidity. Um, So I think companies have been able to, uh, particularly the larger ones that I'm involved in, this is obviously completely different if you're talking about some of the SMEs, some of the businesses that um, are in the private equity portfolio that um, I'm, you know, very familiar with at Living Bridge. That's a completely different set of circumstances there. There you're talking about government help mm. um, and, um, and, and the bankers, the lending bankers being cooperative rather than people relying on the capital markets, which the larger businesses can do. So I think you know, boards are aware that finance has to become a very important part of the agenda. Um, so that would be a slight change, yes. Now, you mentioned recruitment earlier, and, and, and I guess one of the big issues around recruitment into the boardroom is the question of diversity. And I wonder what, how you see the progress of UK, UK PLC, if I can put it that way, in, in, in relation to diversity. Well, I think um, at, at the board level, when you take the non-executive community, um, over my sort of 20 odd years of sitting on boards, um, there's been good, steady progress, which has been stimulated by initiatives such as the Davis Report, such as the 30% Club and others. I can't mention them all, but there have been a huge number of initiatives. And, you know, someone like BP has 40, 50% of its board now is, is female, for example, if you take gender diversity. So I think in that area, it's been good. I think where it's definitely been less good is at the executive level. So I think, you know, if you look at the number of female chief executives in the FTSE now, it's no, not really much different from, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. It goes up and down a bit. So I think a lot more needs to be done with diversity at executive committee level and below to allow more females to come through as chief executives in due course. So I, uh, and, and there are a number of initiatives trying to promote that at the moment as well. So then, of course, we get on to um, a, a, the wider diversity issue, which is, in my mind, you know, very important. Um, multinational businesses really need to know um, from directors who sit in remote geogra- geographies, um, such as China, such as Latin America, they really need to know what the environment is in those continents, what the politics is and what the geopolitics is. Uh, And so uh, I'm a great believer in a diversity of candidates who represent, a diversity of board members who represent where the business's interests are. And that would include younger people who have a better understanding of uh, you know, the digital transformation that the world is is going through at the moment. Um, and uh, less experienced and mature people sitting on boards is absolutely fine as, you know, for a percentage of the board. So I think the balance of boards is is changing. I think you see that from the surveys that are done. Sometimes people get a bit frustrated that it's a bit slow, but on balance, I think, given that board members tend to be on boards for between six and nine years in the UK. Um, you, you can't you can't change boards that swiftly. And what what do you like to see in terms of policy yourself in, in relation to that kind of recruitment that you're talking about there? Well, I think you know the nominations committee has always, I think, been somewhat of the bridesmaid, never the bride, in terms of the board committees that have been established over the years. 
um, my mantra on this is if you see somebody who you, if you meet and see somebody as the chairman of a non-co who you think would be a really good board member, regardless of whether there's a slot, um, you know, you should put that person on your board because one can be very flexible about the numbers on boards. One has to have a minimum because of all the committees. Um, and uh, anyway, to get a proper debate going, you have to have a minimum, I think, of sort of eight people on a board, eight non-execs, I would say. Um, but that number could go up to 12. Um, and, you know, if you see good people, I think good, experienced, capable people, which you, you'll have an instinct for this if you become a chairman or a chairman of a non-co. You'll have an instinct for people who are going to make a contribution. You should hire them. So I think it should be not a search that happens through a headhunter as and when you have a slot to fill. I think it should be the chairman's job always to look out for good people. Is that, um, I wonder how that important that is. I mean, because we hear criticism of headhunters that they go through the same rote processes and turn, we do. tend mm. to turn up the same sort of candidates time and time again. Well, um, yeah, it's, it, I, I, I mean, I think they do an okay job, the headhunters. You know, they can always come up with lists of people if you ask for lists. Um, they can come up with very long lists of people. Um, uh, the, you know, the, I think the, the the problem is there's a sort of timeline attached to it. So you have one interview with somebody, and then you maybe somebody else has to interview them. You you, you turn the whole thing into a process, which um, does enable a transaction or a recruitment to happen, maybe in a within a sort of twelve month period or a six month period sometime. Um, I I get back to what I said earlier. You know, I think it should be continuous that you look for look around and if you see good people you put them on the board and equally of course this is a harder thing you know if people aren't contributing or somehow don't fit and you discover that after two or three years and I think you've got to be pretty honest with them about that and say the business has moved on and maybe you know you, you'd be better off doing something else you know I mean, it's difficult but I, th I think you've got to you, you've got to keep modernizing the board. The CEO is modernizing his workforce the whole time. He's really being ruthless. You know, he uses things like performance management. You know, he should be, and most of them are these days. So I think board chairmen have got to do the same thing. Now, it's interesting you mentioned um, boards should be happy with younger, perhaps less experienced people. And I wonder if that requires people to view the role or the career as an NED in a slightly different way, whether we're seeing that change? I, I basically, notwithstanding what I just said, I think the most valuable NEDs are those with lots of good and bad experience, lots of common sense, uh, who have got good antennae and can read people well, know when to articulate things and when not to, when to take things offline, how to use time outside the boardroom to influence as well as inside the board to influence. So that for me is a cadre of people who are going to be most valuable as well as there being, you know, great supporters of the business and the company and the senior management and showing engagement and interest in, in what's going on in a business. Uh, but I, I also think that there are younger people out there who, you know, really often deserve um, a voice in a boardroom. 
um, and and don't necessarily get it. Um, we're seeing a little bit of this now with employees coming on boards in certain companies. You know, um, this has been mandated or it's an option anyway in the UK now. Um, I think that that whole area is worth experimenting with a little bit more. Uh, you have some experience of that, working with employees? No, uh, uh, no I didn't have any experience on, with an employee director. Uh, but I think uh, on all the boards I'm on, you know, we have regular meetings outside of board meetings with employees, either in factories or socially or going around plants. You know, we, 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 are, we all in, want to meet the younger generation of people in the company. And, you know, some of those sit on other boards rather than their own company's board. So I, I, I don't think we, can, we mustn't be too prescriptive about this. There's a tendency in the UK for the governance to have got rather prescriptive, which I think is, on balance, not terribly helpful. Are For example, made... let me give you let me give you yes. another view. Um, this is a very unpopular view, I think, mostly in the UK. I mean, I think if you have a very good, smart, wise director, they should be able to stay on a board for twenty years. Right. Um, and yet, you know. Clearly, that is unacceptable in the UK. Um, it's not unacceptable in most countries. I mean, in the US, you, you know, there's normally an age limit on board um, on on board um, appointments. Um, in some of the continental companies countries, it's you know, twelve, fifteen years. Um, but in England, it's six come nine. You know, mm. um, and I think for sort of complex businesses, that's quite hard. For people to mature into the role, understand the business, give of their best, influence. I think it's quite hard to do that. It takes you three or four years to get up to speed in some of these large businesses. And then, you know, three or four years later, you're gone. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose it, there are, it perhaps doesn't fit with business cycles as well in, in the way that a business is going to develop, presumably, mm. over sure. longer periods. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I always said, you know, somebody should invent the everlasting credit committee and then banks wouldn't have their problems with their loans. I mean, you know, it's, you, want, you want some stability in some of these businesses that go through cycles. Uh, you were talking about some of the skills uh, earlier that NEDs need, and you, you particularly stressed the kind of person-to-person -person skills as you were talking there rather than say the um uh, disciplinary expertise that each ned may have um well you have to sort of imagine you know the boardroom environment which remains relatively formal um with an agenda with minutes with time slots with presentations often from management um you know the skill is to ensure that a proper debate can take place around a subject matter. Um, and there may be a paper that's 50 pages long and you have 10 minutes to talk about it. So you have to be able to assimilate what you want to say and how you want to comment. Uh, I think in quite an elegant way, if you're, if you're going to make an impact and be helpful to the management as well as constructive in terms of the board debate. Uh, you've had a distinguished career on boards. What have been the most um, rewarding and perhaps the most difficult experiences you've had? Um, 
I think, you know, it goes with the business. So if the business is doing well, you feel a whole lot better. And if the business is doing badly, you don't feel so good. And you begin to wonder why and perhaps get slightly anxious about whether you could have made a greater contribution. But from an, from an exposure point of view, from a non-executive perspective, you know, businesses that get into financial difficulties are the ones that are most worrying because you find that power just shifts from the decisions that the board takes into the decisions that the banks take, for example, um, in the in the most extreme circumstances. So a that is quite frightening. Yeah, you loss of control. Really, that's that that's quite frightening when you've been used to at least with the executives being in tr- control of a business. Um, also, um, you know, I've had experience of being on boards where senior management hasn't been performing, and and you know, I, I sometimes think. Balls can be a bit slow in sort of recognizing that. Um, that that is disappointing, not necessarily a terminal situation, but disappointing. I think boards should be able to make decisions around people who are not performing well. Not I'm not being unfair, but you're just people who are just clearly not going to be able to make progress running a business. I think you no know, mm. decision should be taken quickly there. Um well, the best things are the best boards are the boards where, you know, the boards gel and the company's doing well and, um, you know, that if they hit some tough times, they're going to get through it. I mean, I've had lots of rewarding experiences there. I've never sat on a business where everything's gone. I was never sat on a board where everything's gone right all the time. I mean, that is unrealistic. It will never happen. If you stand back and look at the role of the non-executive as a kind of continuum, where, where do you think it's going? In the future, you know, it's a very good question. Um, there's something still a little old-fashioned about the whole concept of boards and non-execs and how they operate. Um, sometimes I think that it would be. Um, sometimes I think it would, you know, work if. Uh, if there weren't formal board meetings, but not, you know, executive management had the ability to sort of call upon almost an advisory board um, to um, assist them with things. I, I, there's got to be some accountability. So boards have to provide that accountability so long as they're doing that job well. That's the subject of much debate as to whether they are doing that job well or well enough. Um I, I, I think boards have been around ever since stock corporations have been around, so they'll, they'll, they'll continue. I think um, they'll modernise their ways. I think they'll probably become less... Uh, I, I, I'd like to see them becoming less formal but still remain accountable. Now, last question. Um, we're big supporters of the Sunday Times NED Awards. <laughs> uh, we know you are too. What, yeah. What would you say to um, uh, management, executives and non-executives out there considering the awards this time around? Oh, I would say look for very thoughtful, smart people who, you know, enjoy the corporate environment um, and are energetic, ambitious people. You know, I, I would look, I, I don't think there's anything I'm very saying here that's very original. Uh, uh, sadly, but that's what I've been looking for. Alison, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a pleasure having you. Super. Well, I've enjoyed it very much. 
And to our listeners, thanks for joining us on this edition of the Board Agenda podcast. We'll be back with more interviews and features. If you would like to know more about the Sunday Times NED Awards, go to nedawards.co.uk, where you can find all the information you need to enter a colleague. That's nedawards.co.uk. Take care and goodbye. That was a podcast brought to you by Board Agenda. For the latest thinking about corporate governance, and to access a complete online resource for boards and directors, register or log on at boardagenda.com. Thanks for listening.